Welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor Podcast. In this podcast, we inspire advisors with ideas and pathways to break through barriers and build a thriving retirement income business. We will interview innovative technology developers, business leaders, and successful advisors, then help you organize and execute these ideas to move your business forward. And welcome to another Breakthrough Advisor podcast with Jack Martin. Our guest today is Michelle Richter, founder of Fiduciary Insurance Services. And Jack is going to talk to her about the state of the industry today and some new developments that might have just happened in Michelle's life also. Jack? Well, folks, thanks for joining us today for the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. Michelle, thank you for taking time out of your now super busy schedule. Some news broke uh, today. Maybe you want to share a little bit about uh, what's happening in your professional life. Thank you, Jack, and, and thank you, Matt, for the introduction, and, and just, it's such a pleasure to be here and to have the opportunity to address this audience. Today, it was announced that I'll be serving as the next executive director upon the retirement of Bob Melia, who has been currently the director of the Institutional um, Retirement Income Council, which represents the income community in the D.C. space. And historically, there hasn't been much of one in the past prior to the passage of the SECURE Act. But now that legislation has passed, that enables both portability as well as the reduction of fiduciary concerns related to allowing for income in plans, there is a real opportunity for both the annuity industry and just more generally for the populace of Americans who are now reaching 65 at a peak number and who have are the first generation of retirees who don't experience defined benefit pensions that have been experienced by generations like my dad and, and the generations before him who, who had that experience of secure retirement without having purchased private annuities, that now is going to be the foundation upon which Americans' retirements will rely in the future. Will, we no longer have the three-legged stool that we used to rely upon that included defined benefit pensions. It's incumbent upon organizations like IRIC to enable the participants in DC plans to get access to appropriate products and solutions, as well as to get access to the kinds of advisors who can help them to create what they need in retirement that they won't just get from employer-sponsored plans the way they used to. So when you say DC, we're talking defined contribution, not District That's of right. Columbia, right? Uh, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you're right. I don't want us to get confused at any point along the way. And you're right. Things, I'm so yeah. new to this. I have to keep that in mind. <laughs> so yeah, no, the politicians don't need any more lining of their nest. They're good. One of the things you said in an earlier conversation was about ERISA and the Secure Act 2.0. And if you drew out the words of ERISA and made a strong uh, point about that. You want to you want to share that with the audience? I sure do. <laughs> so ERISA was passed in 1974 and it's the Employee Retirement Income Security Act. It literally has in its name the words retirement income and following directly from ERISA came the Revenue Act um, of 1978 from which 
defined contribution plans were created, they do not mean a framework from which Amer- into which Americans can save for retirement and then not be able to uh, appropriately withdraw from those accounts such that they continue to feel insecure about their retirements. That's not what the act was named. When you, when you look back both at the heritage of ERISA and then you look to how SECURE passed last year and we're seeing legislation now that is affectionately dubbed SECURE 2.0 and aimed to further enhance the intentions of retirement security that were put in place in, with SECURE um, and just start some cleanup around that and um, that the, it's very clear the government's priority and intention in creating that framework is to have a tax advantage framework for which Americans can save for retirement and then draw down during their retirements and derive income. I don't want to go too far into this because our audience is primarily independent mm-hmm. financial advisors. I know that there is an opportunity for them, you know, with That's respect right. to not only helping the the employees as they retire, but for helping the plan sponsors. What are some of the obstacles, you know, if I'm an advisor, or what are some of the opportunities or what are some of the, the takeaways that as a financial advisor, I should have with respect to right. this uh, sea change, if you will? Well, I think there's so much opportunity for advisors, both who who have not, even those who have not historically served the D.C. space to consider doing so in the future, because SECURE really did remove a lot of the concerns that plan sponsors had previously raised around fiduciary implications of making an annuity recommendation. And then and then ultimately, years later, perhaps the insurer doesn't have the same financial ratings that it had in the past. Now, there we, those of us on this podcast know about state guarantee associations and things like that, but we're not, we're all of us not permitted to communicate that directly to participants. So for the plan sponsors who now are experiencing the fact that SECURE has come into fruition, and it is the case that there is clarity regarding the fiduciary responsibilities. It can, and and now those who have been advising plans in the past are not those who know annuities, because as it stands right now, fewer than 10% of plans include income options within them. The people, like I said, who who are expert in serving plans are not people who know about annuities. So there's so much opportunity for collaboration between people who do have that access and people who really know the product set and can educate and explain. Because it's really in the DC world as it exists now, there's no education. There's like very little interaction with end participants. And that's something that I'd like, I, I, I will impact the change of that. Or I, I certainly hope to do so. I don't mean that to be me. I, I just mean that there are so many of us who, who think that way and who are banding together to make that a reality in the future. But, but it's also the case that there are account balances in DC plans. That is where Americans have been saving for retirement lately. So it's incredibly important for them to get access to advisors of whichever appropriate uh, form of financial professional they need access to. And sometimes that can be in plan and sometimes that can be out of plan. That is where the money is, is in DC plans now. And where advisors need to be focused is on the those who are about to enter retirement and those who have already entered retirement and helping them stretch out that those savings to produce a lifetime of safe income. I don't know how 
anyone could argue against the premise that each and every single one of us, our parents, the people we love, they deserve to know that they can't ever run out of money. The very premise that any of us is thinking from the framework of, I don't wanna run out of money is entirely unacceptable. We have financial professionals in this country for this reason, to alleviate concerns like this. And we have product sets in this country that serve these needs for exactly this reason. It should never, never, never be the case that any one of us with anyone we love has to think from the perspective of live too long, unacceptable phrase. The annuity industry exists so that people don't have to worry this way. I share 100% your passion for <laughs> addressing the longevity risk, okay? And I think in conversations that we have with advisors today who are maybe just dipping their toe into the annuity space, I think for them, it, it's a change in mindset to be able to, to move past the, the notion that there are these products that maybe they have some preconceived notion about how this works, to start to think about the solution, the outcome for the consumer, to start right. to say, it, it's not true that 100% of people retiring are comfortable with a 10% chance that they will have enough money. There, there is at least a significant slice of the pie right. who says that's not acceptable to me. All right. That's and right. Th th there may be an even larger slice of the pie who says, I really could sleep better if I had that certain, certain amount of security. Wouldn't you agree? I most certainly would agree. I came up in the annuity industry, but I, I also had the unique um, experience of getting to run an RIA and broker dealer so that I had the experience of empathizing with financial professionals who see the world both from the perspective of the of the the products being introduced as well as the advice being given to those clients. And I've gotten to interact with financial professionals of various stripes who who see those issues differently. But I, I will say from from my perspective, it's irrespective of which hat I were wearing when I was talking to a given person. The, the need is to focus on what the client needs, what the client's preferences are. And we've all, especially those of us who are coming from an investment-oriented framework, have been taught to think from the perspective, most of us, of modern portfolio theory and appropriate diversification of a portfolio and how to accumulate that portfolio. And none of us or few of us have been appropriately contextualizing lifetime holistic wealth management, which is not what Harry Markowitz was speaking to when he he's the inventor of modern portfolio theory and he won a Nobel Prize for it. Pretty smart dude. So he introduced this whole framework of diversify and that's a, that's a very accumulation oriented point of view. And in fact, you know, those of us who who spent a lot of time in the advisory side of things and, and billing on AUM and and that need to accumulate, we're taught with that framework in mind that that diversification across asset classes is how one accomplishes maximization of accumulated asset value. But that's not the right framework for how to think about what do we psychologically need in retirement that can make it so that we can live the best existence we can live in our retirements. Because when you reach retirement, there's no single metric that you need to optimize, unlike in the accumulation phase, when you're aiming to maximize returns and minimize volatility. In the income phase, it's a question of what my preferences are, what are my needs, do I want to leave a request, do I care more about guaranteed income, do I care more about potential income, what are the things that 
matter to me and then matching me with the financial professional who can match me with the solutions, not per se, just the products that get me to the point of what I told my financial professional was what I wanted. I always think from that perspective. Yeah. And that human side of it, that that variable emotional component of it doesn't fit neatly into a risk tolerance questionnaire. You know, it, it sure it, doesn't. <laughs> it, it's, it's hard to derive a number to define your retirement income strategy, right? And, and so it's impossible. Yeah. So that's, in fact, you had a, a great podcast a couple of weeks ago. The RISA team, who have, have Wade Fow and Alex Mergia, who have um, invented a framework from which one can assess the preferences of a person entering retirement and from there match them to an appropriate solution. I think it's a really interesting, really neat framework. For some folks, maybe that's a little squishy and it's a little hard to yeah. get your arms around. But the manifestation of it, in my mind, is that people, people's behaviors are changed by that mm-hmm. risk. There's been some really interesting research recently that talks about how people tend to underspend what they potentially could be spending in retirement because of this uncertainty factor. I think Fika and Blanchette have have done some great work in that area to help us understand even the most affluent among us are, are, are down spending, if you will, to make sure they don't run out of money. And to me, that 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 couldn't speak louder to the need to address that tail risk, that longevity risk. And and so you're hundred percent right. And I'll add to your point, Jack, that in that same paper, and they they also evaluated the spending habits of those who this finding holds across net worth quintiles, but those uh, who have a higher proportion of their wealth annuitized feel freer to spend more. And that's just as true for people who are less wealthy as it is for those who are wealthier. Those with a greater proportion of their of their nest egg invested in guaranteed income sources feel freer to spend more in retirement and enjoy their retirements more than those who continue to view the world from that accumulation-oriented lens and worry about drawing down the value of their portfolio. We're kind of piling on to this notion <laughs> that a segment of the advisor community should look at a little bit of a mind change, mindset change, and start to think beyond asset management to think about wealth management and the human perspective in it, right? That's right. That's that's the, absolutely the fundamental difference that I see when I when I look at, um, and I, I did bring up Harry Markowitz before, but when he clarified his framework that he presented for which he won a Nobel Prize in 1991, he, he, he made the distinction, I feel, between wealth management and asset management, where asset management is about optimization of accumulation values and wealth management necessarily involves a human because you you can't have a premise of wealth until it's owned by a person and has to be managed for the purpose of helping a person, not a foundation, not an institution, but a person. We we lose sight when we're when all of our time is spent dealing with changing regulations and documentation and challenging media conceptions of entire product categories that are really not categorized in an accurate way. When all our time is spent this way, we lose our ability to connect with the humans that we serve. My hope is that as we 
continue evolving appropriate frameworks that we can get back to a place where we, once we have a independently substantiated way that we're not going to get attacked for the recommendation of the given approach, then there's so much more freedom to really connect with the people and help them in the way that they need. This is a planning conversation, but really it's an opportunity and a marketing conversation from my perspective. I'm a marketing guy. And if I look at this and I, what I'm saying is if, if my objective as a financial advisor in the first few seconds is to let that, that prospect know what I can do for them, how I can change their outcomes, if I take this more humanistic, more behavioral approach and start to understand a little bit more about them and then start to think about what I can do is make you more comfortable in retirement. I, I can alleviate the fear that you're going to outlive your assets. Is that a value to you? Would that be something that, that would motivate you uh, to want to do business with an advisor like me? I think that's the natural competitive advantage for those of us who've grown up in the insurance industry. We inherently think from the perspective of, of the human and, and with empathy for their experience. I grew up with life insurance agents who were delivering checks, God forbid, you know, for it to families whose family member had passed, you know, that's that's what those of us who grew up in the insurance community are are trained to think from that perspective of helping the individual. And and we're less of a, less trained from the perspective of investment advice that other members of the community entered from. I think there's real natural advantage for insurance trained professionals in the pre-retiree and retiree phases of life where there's they, these People are retiring into a very scary time, low rates, high PE ratios in the in the stock markets. And it is I don't think it is going to be as easy an investing environment for this generation of retirees as it has been in the past. Obviously, I, I'm not qualified to predict the future. I have no crystal ball and past returns are no predictor of future returns. But all of the signs in the market point eventually towards it being a challenging experience for retirees. There, I don't think there is a better time to help people connect with annuities than now, even though interest rates are low and mortality credits or longevity alpha, as David Blanchett would call it, is a you know material factor that those who are not expert in annuities cannot offer to their clients. They should become experts in this space, or I would hope that they would choose to, but where they can outsource that functionality to somebody who is an expert, but it is important for the end consumer to have access to um, the kinds of solutions that can provide them with that peace of mind for the rest of their lives. The 10% risk that I might run out of money for me would be unacceptable. So what advice would you uh, give an advisor who's taking a, a closer look at annuities from a product container or from a product solution perspective, how, how should I be looking at the, this thing differently than maybe right. I've, I've been taught to look at it in the past? Right. Help me overcome that, that barrier, bridge that gap. How do I do that? I think it's really important to consider annuities from the perspective of both the accumulation values that they can offer as well as the income that they can offer. And if you're looking at them from the perspective only of accumulation benefits, there, there is something to that. And especially in a current low rate environment, there's a ton of opportunity to position indexed annuities and structured registered annuities in the position that fixed income used to occupy in a diversified portfolio. 
But I also think that, and, and so that's if, if for advisors who really just feel like they their thing is accumulation and that's what they can articulate, then, then that's the way in which I would think about it for that community. For the community of advisors who are feeling that I used to be able to clip coupons and um, use high yielding dividend stocks for, for my retiree clients, I'm not sure if that's going to work in the years that come. There's real opportunity with the product development that's already occurred in the in the advice based annuity space and even in the commissionable annuity space that that are available for the purposes of of combination of accumulation and income. If I were a person who wasn't expert in annuities already, I would be talking to my overseeing financial institutions. If I were um, a reg rep, I'd be talking to the home office at my broker dealer. If I am an RIA, I would go to an outsourced insurance desk to get education and get access to people who can place those contracts for me and give me advice on what's going on with my client as it relates to the annuity space. So there are there are several really good providers in that in that community who can do that. Not enough Americans are connected with annuities as it stands right now. Whether we're talking about through DC plans or we're talking about in retail, and the regulation is only becoming more stringent, that makes it even more challenging to overcome those challenges that that are out there to help advisors feel safe that they can make those recommendations and not be looked upon either by clients or by regulators as if they were doing something that they shouldn't be doing when in fact that's exactly what they should be doing is considering all available asset classes and what, what's interesting is there's been some great research that that also has suggested that the fact that there aren't more people buying annuities is not because they won't buy annuities. It's because their advisor isn't talking to them about annuities. And so yeah. there's this disconnect that's occurring between, well, the advisor is thinking, no, nah, I don't want to talk about annuities because my clients you know, aren't big annuity people. The advisor's clients are thinking, why isn't it my advisor talking to me about this? I'm learning right. about it more and more at my workplace. I'm hearing about it in the press. My neighbor has an annuity. How come my advisor is, it doesn't have it? And we did a podcast with Tamiko a few weeks ago, and she shared, I think, some research that's talking about the level of that dissatisfaction that's occurring. What are you seeing in that area? Some of the work that Canex has done, so Tamika being being with Canex, they've done so much good work with the Alliance for Lifetime Income and other sources. I will say I, I've already seen the impact of the Alliance in terms of helping to get the message out with the end consumers, as well as providing branded materials for advisors that they can customize from the Alliance's site. It's very helpful that they're, they're challenging these conceptions about annuities. We have never had an, an advocacy group like that before in this industry, and their presence in clarifying some of those misconceptions has been very useful. I think the research that Canix has done together, together with the Alliance demonstrates exactly how much, if you don't call it an annuity, because people have been taught that the word annuity means a curse word, that is a very bad word. It's, it's insane, and yet it's 
the truth doesn't matter that that's the perception out there. The role that the Alliance and other organizations like HANEX that come in to help support this research can play is to give advisors that material, that backing that that helps them to stand up and say, no, I, I'm going to do this. Like this is, we all know that you cannot get risk pooling from any other form of product than annuities is what my client needs because they cannot, they don't have a portfolio big enough to support income of 2.3%, I think was the last time that I saw Wade Fow update his take on the safe withdrawal rate for based on the today's market environment. I'm well aware that not every brilliant academic agrees with Wade as to how to um, how to do that evaluation. But I'm going to go with that guy because he's pretty darn smart. For a portfolio that for a person who needs more than 2.29% of their portfolio as, as a withdrawal, it's fundamental that they be considering annuities. In our, in our earlier conversation, you, you gave me, uh, I don't want to say it was a grammar lesson, but we started talking about <laughs> nouns and verbs, okay? Uh, it, you know, it took me back to high school English for a minute, all right? But, but it's in the context of talking about these products and the advice. So, yeah, so help, walk me through that, that metaphor again, will you? <laughs> I, I'd be my pleasure. So, <laughs> you know, a lot of the conversations that I have these days are about the difference between operating in an advice-based framework and operating in a sales-based framework. I hear so much about the difference between operating as an advisor and operating as a registered representative or agent. This is extremely important to understanding how to get annuities included in the in the RIA space and the DC space as well, because insurance has always been understood through the lens of sold product. And that used to be the case for the investment industry too. Prior to when there was a 40 Act, it was the case that investments were introduced by virtue of being sold. They were selling is a verb and product is a noun. <laughs> and because insurance has never historically been understood through an advice-based framework, which is a nat which is a verb. RIAs provide verbs. RIAs don't provide nouns. RIAs provide services, which are verbs like planning, advice, etc. That's that's the function of an RIA, and that's the regulatory framework through which they are governed. And the regulatory framework through which agents and registered representatives are governed is based on selling products, which are nouns. So manufacturers of products, insurance companies in this case, are thinking from the perspective of protecting their profitability and disseminating their products, disseminating their nouns, and that doesn't fit well. That that way of thinking and education occurring via wholesalers, where wholesalers are people who sell holes, <laughs> and and, yeah. uh, and so <laughs> sorry, Jack, but you asked. That's fine. So, so wholesalers sell holes. Right. And that's their job. They provide nouns. The whole framework that the insurance industry has approached the RIA community from is incongruent because they're taught from the perspective of providing verbs. <laughs> While insurance products can fit into the services that uh, IARs of an RIA can provide, they're not disseminated in the same way that those of us who are raised in the agent and red rep communities would 
service, a policy or a client, we, those of us who are working from the agent or our brokerage frameworks are compensated for selling nouns. And those of us who work from the REA-based framework, and that's true in DC as well as in retail REAs, are compensated for verbs. It's really for the insurance companies that are working their way into the RIA community and the DC community, it's very much a function of providing the services that get them incorporated into the framework through which RIAs service their customers. There's just no reason why, I mean, there are historical technological and product development oriented reasons why this product set hasn't been included in advice-based frameworks before. But now is the time, and, and you know, I see so many of my clients who are insurance companies and financial institutions are understanding this disconnect, are, are, are creating products and solutions towards that. And, um, and I, I see more and more people coming to uh, view that framework, not, not in the same way that I do, because, you know. But, but, but in, a, in the fashion of an understanding of the distinction and who provides what. Right. RIAs, verbs, agents, and brokers now. No, that's an important distinction. That's a really important distinction. And it helps to understand that when you're talking to advisors and getting them to make that transition to use annuities in their planning process. It helps to think about concepts like longevity alpha. The the reality that, you know, it isn't a one size fits all situation with with your advice. Well, this has been a super interesting session. I appreciate it. You're brilliant as always. We love the insights. And we want to thank you for joining us on the Breakthrough Advisor podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Jack. Couldn't be more of an honor or pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InsureMark. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 